It is that very reason that many Christians around the world, brothers and sisters, that are being persecuted today. You have those in Australia who cannot meet. You have those in Afghanistan who are being killed. You have those in China who are being locked up. You have places in Europe, Canada. If you believe the church is not experiencing suffering and pain, you're not looking very hard. But it is because of Christ's victory over death in this world that He lives, that there were many when they were told not to gather for worship, even though they may die, they gathered today around the world. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the freedom that you have today. Do not take it for granted, but pray for your brothers and sisters, because if we believe that true tribulation and persecution is not taking place on the church, we are blind. It is happening around the world, and it happened to people today. Give praise to God for the example that they set. And it was all able to be set because Christ lived. So I'm conflicted this morning. I want to preach that message, but I'm going to stick with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A uh, little conflicted on that this morning, but, but if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we come now to one of the most praised chapters in all the Bible, a chapter that is used by Christians and non-Christians around the world. It's praised by those who are not believers. And yet, sadly, I believe this chapter is very misunderstood, or we we grab a hold of the you, you know the nourishment or the or the good stuff on top, rather than going deep down into the well to get the the, the sweet, beautiful, just treasures that we have there, the the, the stuff of great nourishment. Because when this chapter is taken out of context, I do believe you lose a little bit. Not that I don't think that this chapter, these 13 verses, can stand on their own, because they can. But if you read this in context, what you find is something far more deeper. What's interesting is this is a chapter that is read, these 13 verses are read a lot of times at weddings. Just anyone's wedding. But this is really in the context of the local church. And so what I want to do is, over the next few weeks, we're going to break this chapter up into three sections. I want us to look at three things over the next few weeks. The absence of love, the application of love, and then abiding in love. And it'll take some time to walk through that. But this morning, I want us to deal with that first one, the absence of love. And we will look at verses 1, 2, and 3. And Paul will show us the absolute necessity and importance of love within the church within the local body and he's going to do so in a really interesting way is that Paul is going to expose the the outcome or the consequences and the results of living life within the church without love when love is absent and so there will be three headings this morning that I want you to see we're going to put this in context so we'll have the context And then we're going to look at the contrast. And then at the end, every one of us is going to have a choice to make. So there's a context, there's a contrast, and then there is the choice. And so let's begin this morning in verse, let's begin in verse, I'll tell you what, let's let's look at verse 31 in chapter 12. I don't know if it's on the screen, but if you'll just look up one verse. 
Remember, he closed out in chapter 12, verse 31. He said, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and I will show you still more an excellent way, a more excellent way. Now look at verses 1, chapter 13. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. But if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Notice first the context, if you will. This is something that I've actually kind of been labeling as kind of the big idea. This is the big idea of, of the text. And so we have to ask the question, what is Paul trying to do here? What's the point? Because you, you kind of have chapter 13 sandwiched in. Now, you know, when you make a good sandwich, you got two pieces of bread and you put in the middle the, the turkey or the ham and the lettuce and the tomato. You know, you kind of you got that in the middle, right? That good stuff. Well, chapter 13, that, that chapter we all love, the good stuff, that chapter on love, is actually sandwiched in between two pieces of bread about spiritual gift and unity within the church. Chapters 12 dealt with the spiritual gifts and the unity. When we come back to chapter uh, you know, 14, we'll see it again. And so here we need to, as we read there in chapter 12, verse 31, that kind of helps us with the context. The ESV, I think, reads a little better. He says, but earnestly desire the higher or the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And so Paul ended that last chapter, that chapter about unity and seeking spiritual gifts, you know, properly with a pronouncement that there is something better. There is a way that is more excellent, that is greater, that is higher than what the Corinthian church had been seeking. You say, well, that's really interesting because I know we've been kind of hard on the Corinthians, right? We've been kind of walking through this book and we've been looking at the division and the factions of this church. And, you know, if you remember, they were claiming spiritual superiority through all sorts of means. And there in chapter 12, that new element came up of spiritual gifts. Whoever had the, the gift of tongues or prophecy was seen to be greater than the one who had the gift of, you know, maybe leadership or the gift of giving. And so Paul's point here is he wants to show them a different way than the spiritual competition. And we've been kind of, you know, from chapter 1 till now, we've been kind of zooming in and looking at all their problems and all their flaws. But if you were to zoom out a little bit, what you would find is, is that from the outside world looking in, the Corinthian church really wasn't that bad. Some would say they were an excellent church. Some would probably say they are a model church again you know you can't judge a book by its cover but if you were to zoom out you would find several things that would be in favor of public opinion for this church for example this was a church plant that survived many church plants do not survive but this is a church plant that paul himself planted and they were still meeting and gathering they were still growing things were going well so they are a church plant that had survived so they got that going for them not only that they had three of the most famous preachers in all the history of the world. They had the Apostle Paul. They had Apollos, who became famous, you know. We see his name here in Scripture. And not only that, at some point, Peter himself had it came in, maybe as an evangelist of some sorts. So they had the reputation of these three great preachers who had stood in the pulpits of their church. They were located in the famous town of, Corinthian, uh, of Corinth, where 
The labor and the harvest was full. There was a lot of ministry there (coughs) that they could have. And so they were a church that many people would want to go to to do ministry. If it was in our day, there's a lot of things happening. So they had a, a town that was full uh, of, of ministry. They had, you know, a lot of diversity. We hear a lot about that today, diversity. They had Jew and Gentile. They had married and single, possibly old and young. Not only that, they had a diversity in gifts, a variety of many spiritual gifts throughout the church. And in all honesty, if you think about it, between chapter 1 and now Chapter 13, we haven't really come across any kind of major doctrinal issues. We'll get to a little bit of some misunderstandings in chapter 15, but so far, no major doctrinal issues, which is always a good thing. And so to the outside world looking in, the church of Corinth looked looked like an excellent church. But were they? Well, as we have done for over a year now, zooming in, we find that they struggled with unity. They struggle with this, with these factions and these divisions and this spiritual competition with one another. And now Paul comes here in chapter 13 with this climatic proclamation. All you need is love, right? You've lacked love. If you think about it, over the last 12 chapters, considering how they dealt with some of those issues. For example, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we dealt with boasting. They boasted in their wisdom. They boasted in the superior speech of others, those great orators. Chapter 4, they were divided over their favorite pastors. Some liked one, some liked another. In, chapter, in chapters um, well, 1 through 4, we see that this was a causing effect of harboring arrogance and jealousy and strife within the church. Chapters 5, they tolerated sexual immorality in the church. Which, by the way, is, uh, is not loving to allow someone to continue to live in sexual immorality. So there was no church discipline on them. So that was a lack of love. In chapter 6, they sued one another. Chapter 7, they argued and, and basically judged one another over something that God himself had not judged. Whether to eat the meat or not to eat the meat. And then in chapter 12, they had a competition in spiritual gifts. And in every one of these things, we see an absence of love. Not that love would have solved all the issues. Not that love would have, have just, you know, that everybody would have just got along and there have been no disagreements. But, beloved, if they would have had love for one another, it would have hindered the factions and the growing division within the church. People would not have been suing one another. They would not have gotten into these factions pitting one another against the other. Love certainly would have paved the way for them to end these silly little divisions that they had. And so the big idea of chapter 13, Paul writes, is that love is the greatest spiritual marker of a Christian. We see in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, that Jesus says, I have a new commandment to give to you, love one another. He says, says, you are to love as I have loved you, and by this all men will know. Not some, not just the believers, but all men will know. That you are my disciples. In other words, beloved, what Paul is saying in this chapter is that there is a more excellent way than spiritual competition and spiritual judgment of one another in comparisons. There in chapter 16, Paul will begin to end this letter with the call, let all that you have done, all that you do be done 
in love. That word excellent means greater, higher. It means that there are actually two ways in which you and I can do church. And the Corinthians were doing it one way. And beloved, they were doing it without love. They were not loving each other as Christ had loved them. And, and here's the thing, when we read that verse, we always want to say, well, Jesus died for them and Jesus gave a sacrifice to them. But you've got to understand that when Jesus said those words in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he's not just talking about the fact that he died. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying, I want you to love people the way I have loved you day to day to day. And we're going to get into that in the next few weeks. But we see here that Jesus becomes the ultimate picture of love. In Romans 5, 8, but God show, shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Beloved, it would be, it would be hard for us this morning to, to not, for us to call ourselves Christians. And even John writes even also in 1 John that if you don't love your brother, you cannot say that you are one of mine. We see here that love is a more excellent way within the church. And not only that, it would be very disheartening this morning if I didn't tell you where that love comes from. That more excellent way was paved in the blood of Christ. In John 3.16, we see that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We can love one another. We can know this more excellent way to live and to do church because God gave His Son that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that that it was love that spurred God on to give His Son for you. And we see that, that it was the love that Christ had for us and the love for His Father that drove Him to the cross of Calvary that He may die for our sins. It is love that called Christ to Create the church to proclaim the gospel that those who are lost could be saved. There is a more excellent way, beloved. And you need to know that it is paved in the blood of Christ. And so let me just say this morning that if you don't know Christ, then you cannot know love. You can't know this excellent way. We're not going to get into all the things this morning, but, but, but know that the only way to truly know love is to know Christ who gave his life for you, who You, the sinner who is undeserving of the love of Christ. I would call you this morning to repent of your sins, to come to know Christ as your Savior, that you may see and know this excellent way. But secondly, I would even say, notice the absence of love. Because there in chapter 12, Paul says there is a greater, a higher way. But here in verses 1, 2, and 3, for illustration purposes, Paul's going to show us the other way. Paul's going to show a way that, is, that has no love. It has a lot of really good things in it, but it doesn't have love. And so he wants to present several spiritual gifts to establish a contrast, a comparison, if you will. A way with love, which we'll look at next week, but, but today a, lay, a way that is absent of love. He wants to establish a contrast in function within the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Each verse will contain an an exaggeration, a figurative of writing where an emphasis will be made and it will be where the spiritual gift will be used in a dramatic form in its highest level. But it will be done without love. And Paul will showcase that it will lead 
to nothing. So, so notice with me in these three examples that he gives. Look at verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Now Paul begins with this contrast with the gift of tongues, which was causing all the fuss there in Corinth. And notice he adds the emphasis, the tongues of angels. Not just tongues of men, but the tongues of angels. Now, this has caused lots of confusion in our day. And I wonder if Paul could look down the corridors and see some of the confusion that it has caused, if he would have even have written this. But, but he is giving us a dramatic uh, exaggeration here of this gift. Speaking in tongues is a known language. It is not an unknown language. And so this is the only place in the Bible where we see a tongues of angels, a, a to- an unknown tongue that is mentioned. And so Paul is affirming this unknown language in this verse. Or, or is Paul affirming this unknown language in this verse? Well, it really doesn't seem to fit the context. Because in the preceding verses, Paul is going to, once again, exaggerate every other gift. He's going to make it, make it more exciting, make it bigger, grander. And so as we noted that this is a form of writing of exaggeration for dramatic effect. So Paul here seems to be basically exaggerating the spiritual gift and saying, not only do I have the ability to speak the tongues of men, but I also have the ability to speak the tongues of angels. Well, beloved, if that is the case, would he not be a spiritual giant? Would he not be, would he not be considered a spiritually, spiritually mature individual? Yes, and that is the point of the text. It's, it's not giving us an indication where there's this heavenly language that you may be able to speak. But this is more than just languages, because if you go back to chapter 1, they boasted in superior speech. So Paul says, not only do I have the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, but I have the very thing you accuse me of not having. I have eloquence in my speech. I have dramatic. I, I have the ability to speak and people to come and, and to be saved, for people to come to be persuaded. And so certainly if a person had this gift at this dramatic level, one would say he is spiritual. But Paul says, not so fast. He says, if I have the tongues of men and the tongues of angels and I can persuade people with my speech, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. As one scholar has suggested that this may be a reference to the acoustic vases within a theater. Remember, they didn't microphones like we do in our day. And so these acoustic braces that were made out of bronze or brass or whatever were placed in the corners of the theater. And so when someone would speak, uh, these, it, it was kind of like an, it would help create like an echo. And so people could hear the music. They could hear the voices. And so this one scholar says it this way. He says, speaking in tongues is a sound all right. But it is a mere echo, a noise, an empty sound coming out of a hollow vessel if it is spoken without love. Think on that for a moment, beloved. You may have the greatest gift of tongues that the world has ever seen. But if you are unloving, your words are nothing. They are empty. An empty sound coming out of a lifeless, unloving vessel. 
You may have the ability to speak as one of the greatest orators in the history of the world to persuade men and women to do everything that you say. But if you do so without love, they are empty words. And so, beloved, we find here the very first point of application that this is an error that we must avoid. Christians must avoid words that are absent of love. We must avoid speaking to one another without love. We must avoid speaking to the world without love. There, there's no love in the way that some of you speak to one another. You, you, if I'm right, then I'm right. And I'm going to speak to you the way I want to speak to you, and you're just going to deal with it. And Paul says, your words do nothing. Even if they sound good, if you speak to one another in a way that is rude and ill-mannered, you are a clanging cymbal. You are a, you are a noisy gong. If anything, you're just annoying because there's no life in your words. There's no love in your words. There, there is no love in a person. There, there is no love sometimes in our heart's intent when we say we may even be nice. But deep down inside of us, what we're saying is not for their benefit or for the glory of God, but for our own benefit, beloved. And that is selfish. That is not loving. And nor do you leave people sometimes feeling love in how you speak to them and in the, the very motive in the way you speak. Because sometimes we tend to tear people down with our words. And we do it all for the sake, we say, because the Bible and this and that, and it's the right thing to do. But Paul says, if this is the case for you, then your words are empty this morning and they possess nothing. And so, beloved, we see here that we must not speak to one another. Our words must not be absent of love. But he doesn't just stop there. Notice that he goes on to the next. He says, now knowledge and faith. Our knowledge and faith are nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, he says, I am nothing. Now, the gift of prophecy with all knowledge would be a wonderful gift. The gift of unyielding faith, a wonderful gift, would it not? You see, prophecy is the revealing of God's will, the revealing of God's desires and His wishes. And so if you have that gift of knowledge, as we talked about a few Wednesday nights ago, it means that, there, that you, you read the Scriptures or, or, you go to, or you're in prayer or whatever, but you have an understanding of the Word. You have wisdom about the Word. But this individual, for dramatic effect, Paul says, if I have this gift, I have it to such an extent, there's nothing hidden from me. I know all of God's will. And so, therefore, I can reveal that. I can prophesy that to others. What an amazing gift. Who would not here this morning love for for Brother Brian to get up here and prophesy to you all the mysteries of God's will that you may be able to make good and right choices today? Amen? Because do we not ask God for His will? Do we not seek His will? But wouldn't it be amazing if someone had all the knowledge where there are no mysteries and you can make right choices, wise choices. And that next gift, you have the gift of faith. This is not saving faith. This is the gift of being unmoving in a time of difficulty and hardship. 
And you will probably not see, we may hear stories of this, many of them we probably will not, but there are men and women around the country right now who have this gift and it is being put to the very test, beloved, as they are in the most difficult of circumstances with their life on the line and they will not be moved. Now here's an interesting thing about this gift, is that this gift of faith does not require all knowledge. The gift of prophecy with all knowledge knows all things. The gift of of this dramatic faith to move mountains does not require all knowledge. You may not know all things. There may be mysteries to God's will, but that's okay because you trust God. Your faith in God, your trust in God is so strong that even even if you may not know all things, you will not be moved. And how strong is this faith? So strong to move mountains. Did Paul mean metaphorical mountains, literal mountains? I don't think it matters. It means that no matter what you face, that mountain will not stop you, whether literal or metaphorical, from walking in faith. And one would look at these two individuals and they would think that both types of people would certainly be spiritual heavyweights. The one who has the gift to pass on knowledge helps people within the church, people in the world, make right choices for their life. To do what is right. The one who walks by faith becomes an example to all of us that though we may not have all the knowledge, we must trust in God and we are able to persevere in the worst of times. I mean, certainly these two individuals would be marked as spiritual heavyweights and giants, right? Spiritually mature Christians, right? Paul says no. If they are absent of love, then no. They can provide great leadership to everyone, but if they are loving, if they are not loving, if they are without love, he says, they are nothing. So notice your words were nothing, but now he says, I am nothing. The the person is nothing. Your knowledge and your faith are useless without love. That wording there was used by Jesus when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Greek word means you can do absolutely nothing. But but, but I have all knowledge. I I know the right stuff. I have all faith. I have all faith. I can't be moved. Paul says you're nothing. Brothers and sisters, you may possess something that can be of great value to others in the faith family and to the world. You may be a great example. But if your spiritual gifts of of knowledge and prophecy, if your spiritual gift of faith is not drenched in love, you hold no spiritual use to the body of Christ. And so here is another error to avoid. We must avoid serving without love. We must avoid serving in the, in the service within the local church in the community without love. You, you seek to be good. You seek to do good things. And you, you have it in your mind that God has called me to do this and I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to let anyone stand in my way. But you do it in such a way that you, are, that you leave other people wondering why you're doing it in the first place. There's no love in the manner in which you serve. It's about the task. It's about the goal. It's about this and not about the person and the people. You care nothing about them. You only care about the task. 
the work at hand. There's no love in your heart. There's no intent. You're not doing this for the, for the edification of the saints. You do this for yourself and your own status because you're right. Because you're the better example. And nor do you leave them feeling love when you're done. And so therefore your, stuff, your knowledge and your faith is in vain. It edifies no one. But notice the third example that he gives of absent love. Our sacrifices, <clears throat> our sacrifices are nothing. Look at verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And so now we come to this gift of giving. And at the core of these two gifts, you need to understand that it is a sacrifice. And so let's deal with this first one, this gift of giving to, the, to those who are in poverty. And let me say this again. We've got to quit looking and reading the Bible. And I hate this word, but we need to use it this morning. We've got to quit looking and reading the Bible through the lens of, of, of America. Because we think of those in poverty and we're like, well, you know, they're okay. Brothers and sisters, the poorest person in America is richer than the majority of people in the, around the world today. When we talk about poverty here, the poor person, we must think in terms of the Apostle Paul's day, the day of the Corinthians. And so in that day, one who was truly poor, who had nothing, had to rely on others for their survival. And so therefore, what Paul is saying here is if I give everything I have, I give all my possessions, that when I give, I, I have nothing left. I give all my possessions to this other individual who is poor. You are, in fact, at best, saving their life, at, at minimum, making their life better. Because unless someone feeds them, they're going to die. And so this is a, this is a dramatic self-sacrifice. I, I am giving everything to this poor person so they can live and have a better life. I'm sacrificing my possessions, my my personal possessions that I own. But notice what he said. All possessions. So you're left with nothing. So you alleviated the poor by becoming poor yourself at minimum or at bet or at worst. You sacrifice and die that they may live. This is a great sacrifice. But notice the second one. The second one is even greater. He says, if I surrender my body to be burned. Now we know what this is. We know that this is surrendering your life to be sacrificed for your faith in Christ. Now in this day, that, had not, that was on its way to beginning, but it had not really begun yet where they were just burning Christians. But Paul knew it was coming. And so Paul said, if you sacrifice everything, your body, your physical body, your health, your life, and you give your life over, not for someone else, but for God himself. You become a martyr for Christ, which is the ultimate act of love. The love of God, and then you also have the love of neighbor. So therefore, certainly these, this Paul would be spiritual, right? If I, if I sacrifice for, for one of you, and I sacrifice for God, I would certainly be spiritual, right? And Paul says... If love is absent from your sacrifice, you gain nothing. 
Because that is the ultimate reward, right? To lay your life down for someone else and to lay your life down for Christ and to receive the ultimate reward from Christ, to receive, to receive crowns and, and jewels and all of those things because this is the greatest act. Beloved, do not miss what Paul is saying. You can commit the greatest act of self-sacrifice the world has seen other than Jesus Christ. And without love, it is nothing. You can give all that you have and you receive nothing. Why? Notice the thing, because it profits you nothing. This is what I truly believe about this verse, is that here what Paul is saying is, is that we are willing to make the sacrifices not for the person and not for God, but for ourselves. That I may gain from the sacrifice. I may be applauded. Look at that person. He was a great Christian. I may be applauded. Yet look at them. Look what they did for others. And Jesus says you gain nothing. And so here we have the third error, beloved, that we must, that our sacrifices, we must avoid sacrifices that are absent of loving one another. There's no love in the way we may sacrifice. There's no, no love within the intent of our sacrifice. And nor when all is said and done, did the person really give all they had for me? Or was it about their own spiritual status, their own spiritual competition? And we gain nothing. This really, truly, beloved, is a crushing blow to those who would say, who would believe in a, a, faith by, a faith by works or salvation by works mentality. For what we see in these things is that what happens in this place, it's not just the very work that you do, it's not just the, very, the words you speak or the gift that you have or the very sacrifice you make. It really does matter how you treat one another. And you say, Brother Brian, how are we supposed to treat one another? Well, we see it in verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. I think sadly what's happened is is that we have turned our words and our services and our sacrifices into a pharisaic tradition that if I say the right words I am loving. If I do the right deeds I am loving. And if I make the right sacrifices I am loving. I don't have to be loving I just have to say and do the right things. And Paul says no. And you and I are living in a world right now that is absent of love. We we are living in a world right now where people do not know how to love one another with words and with service and with sacrifice. And so that leads me to the third thing, beloved, is that the church of today has a choice. 
you as an individual here. You have a choice today. When we read these verses, Paul Paul leaves us here with a question mark at the end of these verses. What am I going to do with this? If, If loving one another is the true marker of spiritual people, and not my words, and not my gifts, and not my, and not my knowledge and my faith, and not just my sacrifices, then you have a choice this morning. Two things. You can choose to, to examine yourself today. I truly believe that the church and we, myself included, all of us need to truly examine ourselves today and to begin to see, do we truly love others? Because obviously, there is a, there is a warning here. There, there, there's a big red light that is blinking, big stop sign. You can go to church, you can serve, you can speak, you can do all these things, and you can still not be loving. And so there are those in here this morning, you need to examine your words, and you need to examine your sacrifices, and you need to examine your service to the church this morning and to others. Is it absent of love? Is it truly absent of caring for the other individuals? If you're unwilling to even examine yourself this morning, beloved, how fearful is that? Because we see here that that answers the question. Love is not arrogant. And so I believe we all have a choice this morning that we need to examine our lives to see, are we a loving people? And then secondly, I truly believe we need to choose this morning the way of excellence. Again, notice what Paul said in chapter 12, verse 31. And I will show you still a more excellent way. A way that is higher, that is greater a, a, a way that reflects the glove and the glory of Christ. As we've seen, this other way can look good. It can have the best preachers. It can have the highest wisdom. It can, it, it can have you know, diversity. It can have gifts. It can have programs. It can have, it can have everything the world would look and say, that is an excellent church. But First Baptist Church, God says there is a way that is greater than that definition of excellence. And it is a church that looks across the aisle, who looks behind them and looks in front of them and looks to the people that goes to, work, goes to worship with and the people they do life with throughout the week. And it is people who truly, truly love one another and bear with one another. And so you are left with a choice this morning as you walk out of here. Are you willing to love your faith family? To love them with your words? To love them with your service and your deeds. And to love them even with your sacrifices. Or will you choose a way that is absent of love? In the words of Charles Spurgeon, he said, A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you, you will remember when the forget-me-nots have withered. Therefore, carve your name on hearts of men, not on the stone of marble. 
too many of us want on our tombstone all the deeds and all the words and all the services and sacrifices that we did. They, that's what we want our tombstone to say about our life. But the question that everyone in here needs to ask and the choice that everyone in this church needs to make, especially in a world that is so hateful and so divided, more than we've ever seen, are you willing to love one another? If not, then know that the Bible says that God says your life will gain nothing. You will be nothing And it will be all in vain. But if you choose this morning love, know that your life will not be empty. Your status in the eyes of God will not be nothing. And brothers and sisters, you will gain the greatest reward of all. You will gain the pleasure of loving one another and knowing the love of Christ. Let us pray.